This morning, I'm going to continue the material we started last week showing how important it was at the time of the Reformation to identify the true work of the Spirit. And so we're quoting Luther. You have uh, now a printout if you want to follow these quotes. And then when we're done with that, we'll go back to Acts. But Acts is about the work of the Spirit. And it's very important for us to be able to identify a true work of the Spirit. Um, Because there are literally thousands of preachers who claim to be talking about the work of the Spirit who are false prophets. Who was telling me, Brian there was telling me, he saw some preacher on TV the other day claiming that God can't do anything unless we give him permission first with our words. Yeah, so it's it's heretical. But see, the more heretical they are, the more they talk about the Holy Spirit and claim they have the Holy Spirit. And I believe that Luther was dead on about this matter. And I think it was to our own peril that we neglect the implications of John 14, 26. That's the passage that Luther is commenting on in this essay that I'm presenting before you and started to do so last week. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to see these things and to understand the implications of the work of your Holy Spirit and the truth of the gospel. May we not be deceived, but may we stand firm with one heart and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We ask you for help. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, John 14, 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, this entire essay that I'm taking excerpts from that Luther wrote is commentary on this one verse. How do we know the Holy Spirit is coming and what are the evidences and signs of that? And I think he had that exactly right. So last week, we talked about we, we looked at slide two that you should have a printout of. They talk about Christ and the Holy Spirit, but they actually lead people away from Christ and the Holy Spirit. Then he wanted to identify the true work of the Holy Spirit so we can identify what is the church. Previous to the Reformation, The Roman Catholic Church claimed they were the church. And the proof was they could trace their bishops back to Rome and so on and so forth. Luther said no. The church is identified by this means. Wherever the word of God is purely taught, and the sacraments administered according 
to the Lord's institution. There is the true church. Now, I think we may have been on this slide. Does anybody remember for sure? Okay, let me quick reiterate this slide, which is slide four. Talking about Rome. And since they occupy the highest place and decide questions without Christ's word, yes, contrary to it, the Holy Spirit must necessarily be with them and do and confirm all that they want from him, call them to the church and command everybody to heed their voice as that of God himself and to obey on pain of his soul's salvation. This is Luther explaining Rome's claim. They say the Holy Spirit comes through us. We are by definition of the church and what we say is the Holy Spirit. And if you don't obey us, you're not obeying the Holy Spirit and your soul will be damned. And Luther says, no, the Holy Spirit comes to us through the word. And the proof that we're looking at is John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send to my name, when he comes, Jesus said, he will bring to your remembrance all that I have taught you. So that if the so-called church isn't teaching what Christ taught, then it's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings us the teaching of Christ. And we showed in a previous Sunday school that Christ's word also comes through his ordained apostles, that is, the biblical ones. So he says here, for Christ describes the Holy Spirit as a teacher who teaches and proclaims his word. So if the word of God is purely taught, there you have a work of the Spirit. So all of these TV preachers are talking about the Holy Spirit, but they twist and obscure and invalidate the word of Christ. Christ didn't say God is helpless and hopeless and can do nothing unless we give him permission. This is the opposite of what Christ taught. So it's not from the Holy Spirit. Now he goes on to say, on the other hand, if you hear people preaching about Christ and treating and expounding his word, baptism, his suffering, his resurrection, then you can say, here I am listening to the true Christian church. For here is the Holy Spirit who teaches and brings to remembrance what Christ said. Not human prattle about food, drink, clothing, or how do such things concern the church? Or why should they require the Holy Spirit? Now, I have more here than I had room for on slides. This is all of the material from this section of Luther. He Luther goes on to say now, and this is off of material, it's not on a slide, that this would be Romans 13 stuff, civil governments, 
families, whatever, can establish their rules. But that's not the church. Here's what he says. Every father can establish such rules, excuse me, such rules in his house for his servants. What is there to prevent a heathen? Well, he's heard nothing about Christ, the Holy Spirit, or the church from instituting ordinance with reference to the consumption of fish or meat on such and such a day, the celebration of holidays, the observance of fasts, or the wearing of a red, brown, black, or gray garb. What knowledge or revelation from the Holy Spirit is necessary to prescribe that a cardinal must sit above a bishop and a bishop above a prince? Heathen or non-Christians can do that. So he says what the Roman Catholic Church is doing is their own religious business, but it's not the Holy Spirit. And it's not how we identify the true church. So some guy with a red pointy hat says, I'm a cardinal, and he doesn't preach the gospel. We can say the Holy Spirit is not speaking through you. You are parading around in your religious garb, making yourself out to be something great, but you are a liar, and I will not listen to you. And that's what we can and ought to say. And they have nothing they can say about it other than tradition, tradition, tradition. But Luther says that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, says Jesus, will teach you and bring to your remembrance whatever I have taught. So why should we preach anything but Christ and his word? Why should people come to something called a church and not hear about the gospel, not hear about the forgiveness of sins, not hear about the glories of Christ and the resurrection and the great truths that have been given to us to preach? Why do we preach anything else? And why should anybody care? And it isn't just Rome that does that. I watch a news channel every morning because I can't sleep I wake up, and there's a guy that comes on her who spends a lot of money to have a one minute on this national news show called the Winner's Minute. And it's a local pastor who teaches the word of faith heresy. I've heard that Winner's Minute dozens of times. Never have I heard about Christ. Never the gospel. Never the Holy Spirit. Never the word of God. What do I hear? Human wisdom. The kind of stuff that Luther says the heathen can teach. They don't need the Holy Spirit. My friends, why are we here? Are we here to teach prattle? That Luther says are the realm of the knaves. Anybody figure out what a knave is? It's bad, I think. Uh, Anyhow, That's not why we're here. We are here to teach you the word of God under the authority of Christ and nothing else. Let's go on. See, I want you to know that the Reformation said what it said, and we should understand what it means. Because on our website and on our videos, we say we believe in the solas of the Reformation. 
I want to show you that these solas are grounded in Scripture. It's not just our tradition. Continuing with Luther now, I read to the intervening material. Therefore, let us look at this text aright. Which text? John 14, 26. Keep it pure. Hold it properly before our noses. Interesting. Christ says, then quote, the comforter whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things, unquote. These words they ignore. Who they? The religious authorities. They pervert them by saying, the Holy Spirit comes in our name. Whatever popes, cardinals, and bishops decide is done by the Holy Spirit. But Luther says, but in Christ's name means wherever Christ is understood, known, and believed. Wherever his baptism and the office of the ministry are administered. Notice how the church is being defined. Wars were fought over this. And the Catholic Church sent out troops to murder anybody who taught this. They couldn't tolerate the truth of the gospel being preached to people that they had kept in darkness for hundreds of years. I don't think people know how utterly wicked the Roman Catholic Church is. It's wicked. It's abusive. It does everything they can to keep people away from Christ and the gospel. Can you be any more wicked? That Mike Gendron, you remember him? He's good. Yeah, he was uh, in the Catholic Church. He didn't even read his Bible till he was like 37 years old. And right away he was seeing uh, everything that he read in Scripture was the exact opposite yeah. of what he was getting If you get a chance, the- you want to hear Mike Gendron. He's a great evangelist. Yeah, apologetics. He's a great guy. We had him speak at our previous church. Now here's some more Luther. Furthermore, Christ says, he will teach you and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. That is, he will teach you that is my word and doctrine. He will apply himself to this and recall it to your mind that you may understand and judge that it is my word, the very words, Jesus, in which I spoke to you. He will emphasize it. He will make it clearer from day to day so that you will know me even better and see how through me you are delivered from sin and death. Isn't that the message of Christ? Dear ones, this is essential. This is simple. John 14, 26 is simple. And we can say what we want about Rome, but when most of the Protestant churches are doing mysticism, human wisdom, this, that, and everything else, where's Christ and his word? Luther taught the Holy Spirit comes to us through the word. All I'm doing is agreeing. If you believe the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible, then pure, clear, powerful Bible teaching is something God will always use to change our lives. We'll come to church, our hearts will be filled with hope and joy, and we'll go rejoicing in our mutual salvation 
and the forgiveness of sins. Otherwise, we come and somebody's saying, you should do this, you should do that. The kind of stuff that Luther says is, is not really special revelation. You can administer your household certain ways. You can run your business how you see fit. But the Holy Spirit comes to us through the word. Yes, Mike. When I think about uh, Luther and, and all this other apostate teaching and heretical teaching, it's like when you have conversations with these people, and this is why it's important to know the word of God, it's like, say what Luther, Luther said, unless I am convinced of the scriptures, here I stand. I mean, show it to me in the word. Yeah. All these things that you're teaching, just like the Catholic Church, the emergence, all these yeah. people are teaching anything but Christ, and then they're yes. trying to influence you. It's like... And see, we all need to be able to do that, Mike. Yeah. Right? I'm going to finish this little section of Luther here. Stepped on my mic, cord. And uh, then we're going to show the opposition to the gospel that happens in Acts 5. And then we're going to go back to some Luther, just so we know that these solas are for real. And I'm going to show you how at the time of the Reformation, the teaching of the priesthood of every believer was revolutionary. And it needs to be taught and believed today. Because what Mike was saying is one of the arguments Luther made. Because he said that when we're warned not to listen to false teachers, who is it that's not supposed to listen to false teachers? Each and every Christian. How are they going to do that? They must not just say, well, some bishop somewhere knows the word. I don't need to. They need to be equipped and trained so each and every one can say, when the Jehovah Witnesses come by, no, that's not from the Holy Spirit. That is the priesthood of every believer. More. Continuing on this application of John 14, 26. That is my answer to our papists who come strutting along with this verse. They praise the glorious name of the Christian church. They say that the church is taught by the Holy Spirit and that for this reason, its dictates must be obeyed. Notice the shift. Rather than the person who's taught by the Holy Spirit in order to believe, know, and affirm the words of Christ, the church claims we gave you the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. All you have to do, because you're not a priest, which, which we're going to see is unbiblical because the Bible teaches the priesthood of every believer. You have to come and listen to us and obey us. That's all you need to know. How abusive is that? And we should say, no. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to every believer, and we are all kings and priests to God. And we can understand and know what God says. Then he identifies this issue of who's the church. I have it in red up here. But it is important to discern who is and who is not the church. Christ says, you can observe and judge this by the presence or absence of my word. The Holy Spirit shall come in my name and teach what I said. Now, notice what Luther's doing here. My red up here I wrote an article about this. It's in CIC. 
that every believer can prophesy. And I define prophecy as bringing out valid implications and applications of Scripture. Luther's prophesying. He's prophesying in the name of Christ and saying, you can observe and judge this by the presence or absence of my word. He's saying that in the name of Christ. And I even quote John MacArthur, who says he doesn't believe in prophecy, and he prophesies for a whole paragraph. Why? Well, because he thinks prophecy is giving new revelation. But that's not the definition in 1 Corinthians 14. You may all prophesy one by one. They're not giving new revelation. They're bringing out the meaning of Scripture and applying it, just like Luther's doing. And just like John MacArthur rightly did. I think he needs to not change his practice, but change his definition of prophecy. So today, when I'm making applications of Scripture, I'm prophesying to you. And part of the priesthood of every believer is you may all prophesy. That's why we got this mic. But if you say something, and this has been our, we've been doing this in Sunday school for 15 years, or at least I have. If somebody comes along and falsely prophesies, which does happen, well, then let the others judge, right? And the others will say, no, 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 wait, 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 that's not right. So people say, well, can I say something? Yes, but be prepared. If it's wrong, somebody's going to correct you. And don't let that hurt your feelings. Because they can correct me, too, if I'm wrong. That's the priest of every believer. Brian. At what point does bad or false teaching become a perversion, thus lead to a false church? For example, replacement theology. Would you believe that a church that teaches replacement theology is, that's a perversion of God's word, therefore, would the church be considered... Uh, well, not a true church. It, 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 it depends. They may not ever teach on that at all. But if somebody went into the pastor's office and got him in a corner, right. he'd say the church is Israel and God's done with Israel. Yeah. But, but if that's all he preached week by week by week, I wouldn't go there. But he may be preaching the true gospel mm-hmm. and doing it every week, and we can't judge that to be wrong. Okay, so you can, I think what you're saying is possible to judge an individual doctrine, which is what we would do. If somebody comes in here and says the church is Israel, there is no Israel, well, then just pass the mic around and we'll see who corrects them. Okay? And you can correct some certain doctrine without saying there's no church, because if they are preaching Christ, bringing to remembrance what he said, teaching repentance toward God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Christ from the dead, and substitutionary atonement, and the forgiveness of sins, I would say that's a church. That's what Luther's saying. Then he goes on here. I have it up at the bottom here. But if its teachings are different from and not in harmony with my word, this is... Luther speaking in the name of Christ, then it is not the Christian church. For how would the church alter and pervert the word of its Lord? Now, we, we can judge, Luther, is Luther prophesying correctly? I'd say yes, he is. Why? 
Well, we have other teaching. For instance, in Matthew 7, didn't Jesus himself say, many will come in my name and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do miracles? Didn't we prophesy? And and the Lord himself will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. So this is correct because we need to be able to judge that or we may end up in the Jehovah Witnesses or somewhere else. Mormonism. Does that make sense? All right, let's go on. Now, so he was dealing with Rome. I want to tell you about the enthusiasts. Who are the enthusiasts? Well, this may be more pertinent to us. Brian, what you were talking about, you saw on TV, there's enthusiasts. Okay, what are enthusiasts? Well, Luther used that term to describe those who claim direct, unmediated revelation of the Holy Spirit. In other words, not through Christ and his word, not through Christ and his apostles, but they have direct access and they have their own personal mystical revelations that they teach in the name of Christ. That's what you heard on TV. America is full of enthusiasts and they are very enthusiastic. (laughs) Luther said the Anabaptists were enthusiasts. And he says, well, let me just read Luther here and then tell you what he was talking, what he was dealing with. After the Reformation, there are people running off and saying, well, we hear directly from God beyond Scripture, just like the Pope claims he does. Only I'm going to be a little Pope of this little group over here. It may be smaller, but he's got the same doctrine. I get direct revelation, and it doesn't have to agree with Christ and his word. Let me read. Luther, quote, after we have maintained this text, which is John 14, 26, over against the papistic rabble. I'm glad he says it sugar-coated, don't you? <laughs> Different spirits come along from the opposite side and claim that they are the ones who have the spirit. Their one boasts is of nothing but the Spirit, and they bring some fine and alluring arguments and attractive words, as the Anabaptists and their ilk do today. And in years past, the Montanists, now this was was, was real early in church history, the Montanists, and many others did. Our whole quarrel, says Luther, with all these factions, revolves about their claim that they have the Holy Spirit, and that therefore they should be believed. It is our lot to be constantly locked in combat with the devil and false spirits. But if we view this verse and others are right, we can judge properly and refute everything that opposes it. So you have the Papists with their creeds and councils and bishops and cardinals, then the enthusiasts. Do you see how perilous it is? And how the Christian faith is always under attack from this side and that side? And how we must know the scripture? And that 
The Holy Spirit does come to us through the word. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send to my name, will bring to remembrance all that I have said. The one who's truly anointed by the Spirit, which should be the true priesthood of every believer, all of us, knows 1 John 2. And we teach Christ and preach Christ. Now, again, we need to make judgments about these things. Nowadays, these things come to us over the television. Right? Quoting Luther again, quote, if someone comes with a doctrine allegedly taught and revealed by the Holy Spirit, I cling to this word and apply it to his doctrine as the proper touchstone. If I see that it agrees with the words of Christ, I consider it true and good. But if it deviates from them and presents something else, I declare, quote, says Luther, you are not the Holy Spirit. You are the devil. For the true spirit comes in the name of no one else than Christ, and he teaches nothing but what Christ said. Back to Matthew 7, didn't Jesus say the one who builds on the rock will withstand the storms? And what was building on the rock? The one who hears and teaches my word. Jesus said exactly what Luther's saying here. There's a whole movement that says we don't have to listen to the words of Christ. They're not for us. Remember that? Les Feldig. You don't have to obey Christ. Well, how do we judge that? Where do you go? It's not hard. No, you're teaching sedition against the Lord Jesus. You are false. I will not listen to you. There you go. It's not hard. Well, of course they get mad. So the JWs and so the Mormons. But what kind of Christian church teaches sedition against Jesus Christ? Not a real Christian church. What do you think Paul would have said? He would call it damnable heresy. We need to be bold enough to do the same. One more slide and then we'll get to Acts again. He says, Luther, thus we can protect and defend ourselves against all error and fanatical spirits if we but adhere to this and preserve this verse in its truth and purity, knowing that, quote, the Holy Spirit does not present the trifles and hocus pocus of man, but great and serious matters, namely Christ with his gifts. We can boldly rely on this, says Luther, and we can also conclude that we who have Christ are holy before God and have the Holy Spirit with us in opposition to any self-styled holiness. We've had a battle recently where we had to stand against legalism where certain people claim the right to speak law beyond the law of Christ. We said, no, you cannot do that. That's self-styled holiness. And you might say, well, 
this may be too difficult. You know, I you spent all these years studying, and, and, you know, Greek and whatever. Maybe it's too hard for me. No, don't believe that. I'm not saying that. I don't believe that. I don't teach that. You can know the gospel, and you can know Christ and his word, and we have to maintain the priesthood of every believer. You can judge what is or is not from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's a lifetime process, but it gets clearer all the time. Absolutely. It gets absolutely clear, and it gets more exciting because this is what the Holy Spirit says. It's right there. I was just working on next Sunday's sermon. This is Acts here, the Greek and in all these notes. And I looked at what Paul said in Colossians. And he talked to the church and said, the elect, holy and beloved. And I'm just going, wow. The church is God's elect, holy and beloved. Elect, holy, beloved. I can't preach that. I can't preach anything. This is what the Holy Spirit is seeing. And it's something to get excited about. Today, Eric's going to begin preaching through Romans. Something to get excited about. Not because we're teaching it. Anybody could. They have to want to. Okay? And each of you, as the priesthood of God holy and beloved are equipped to judge what is and isn't from the Holy Spirit. That's the priesthood of every believer. And some will say, well, it must be too hard. Well, the apostles believed we could do that. First John tells us not to listen to the false teachers, the Antichrist. And it says you all have an anointing you can all know. Somebody comes on TV and says, I'm the anointed one of God beyond everybody else. Well, that's easy. Do you know what we know then? We just heard from an antichrist. Every believer is equally anointed of God and is equally a priest. The only special anointed one is Christ. That's what Christos means, anointed. It's not hard. You can do it. You're God's priesthood. You're the ones who are elect, holy, and beloved. Thank God for that. So I am privileged to teach to you the priesthood of every believer and to say the Holy Spirit comes to us through the word. That having been said, let's preach the word practice what we preach. Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. Remember, they had done signs and wonders. We saw earlier in Sunday school last week, Eric talked to us about what the signs of an apostle are, that these signs validated that the apostles directly appointed by Christ also bring to us Christ's words. So what we just said about John 14, 26 also applies to the teaching of the apostles. So turn to Acts 5, beginning of verse 17. Let me read the text. This was after the apostles were 
doing miracles. But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. So here Luke tells us what motivates them. Jealousy. Verse 18. They laid hands on the apostles, put them in public jail. Why does it say public jail? Well, they want to shame them. These guys are a bunch of jailbirds. You know, if you can't refute somebody's argument, you do an ad hominem, means against the person. Okay, not to get into politics, but let me tell you what I saw. Did any of you see the video of these doctors describing harvesting body parts from unborn children to sell them? And it's so wicked that before they show it, the announcers say, you may not want your children in a room. This is so disturbing. So I see that. Oh, this is so evil. What happened to these people? Nazi Germany has come to roost, declaring some people not human and they're doing what you want with them. You know what the response was? Oh, those wicked people that videotaped it. What? What kind of perverted sense of right and wrong? See, nothing wrong with dismembering unborn children. But if somebody publicizes what they're doing, they're the evil one. We should be allowed to do this in secret and not be disturbed by anybody. And have us pay for it. Yeah, and have you pay for it. That's what's going on here. They throw them in jail. They did the miracles. They preached the gospel. God raised Jesus from the dead in front of witnesses. And they blamed the messenger. We're losing popularity because you apostles keep preaching the resurrection of Christ. And we told you, you cannot teach in his name. You wicked people. You preached Christ. My friends, we must be able to distinguish between good and evil. It's the essence of discernment. It's not evil to preach Christ. Threw them in public jail. We'll just blame the messenger and shame them. So they're in a public jail. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of this life. Interesting, isn't it? The angel tells them to do what the Sanhedrin told them not to do. All right. Verse 21. Upon hearing this, they entered the temple about daybreak, began to teach. Now, when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find him in the prison. And they returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely, and the guards standing in the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed, about them as what would come of this. 
and someone came and reported them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in a temple teaching the people. And the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. And when they had brought them, they stood there before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. When we get to this, I'm going to talk to you about blood guiltiness. It's certainly what would be true of those demented doctors that I was telling you about. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The second time they told him that. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given those who obey him. So is the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that confirm John 14, 26? The Holy Spirit will confirm the resurrection of Christ, repentance, and forgiveness of sins. Let's go to verses 17 and 18. But the high priest rose up along with his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees. They were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostle and put them in public jail. Now, one of the things about reading and understanding narrative is narrative is a story. It doesn't mean it's not true. See, when I first learned in seminary about from a great teacher about interpreting narrative, it's very clear. Stories work certain ways. But the biblical story is the truth of the gospel. But Luke is a skilled writer. Now, stories have tension that increases or decreases. This increases the tension. The apostles doing signs and wonders was a little bit of relief from tension because God's confirming the word of the gospel. But now there's violence, opposition increases the tension. So we have a narrative uh, juncture here. Jesus predicted this. If you want to, turn to Luke 21, 12 through 19. Let me read it to you while you're turning to it. Now remember Luke Acts is a two-volume work, right? So Luke wrote Luke, Luke wrote Acts. One of the ways we can see the two-volume work going on is that there are narrative tensions created in Luke that carry over to Acts to find their answer. All right? So somebody writes two books, and one's a continuation of the first. The second book may have things set up by the first. Now, this, in Luke 21, 12, sets the narrative tension. Jesus said, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you 
delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. Verse 13, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. By the way, this is not an excuse for preachers who don't study. (laughs) This is what you do when you get hauled in front of authorities. God will give you the words, but your testimony about Christ is what the content will be. Verse 15, for I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Let me quick just bring some stuff out of there. This is fantastic. It says some of you will be put to death. How is it that they'll be put to death and not a hair of their head perish? They have eternal life. All they can do is send you to heaven. That's all they can do. I had an opportunity to look at this. I was called to go out to California to answer to why I wrote a book rebuking the purpose-driven movement. And I happened to be there when they had their national or worldwide purpose-driven convention. And just before the presidential whatever they call that thing. Remember when McCain and Obama were out at Saddleback Church? Well, I was there like the week before with my friend Chris Roseborough. We were the only two that showed up to rebuke Rick Warren in person. And I thought, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? And this passage informed me. And I decided that I was going to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so I preached the gospel. And I pleaded with the pastor out there that he would preach Christ, something he has chosen not to do. This makes it very simple. It may be at work. It may be amongst relatives. It may be at a school reunion. It may even be in a church. It shouldn't be, but it can. And make up your mind not to think of some clever thing you don't have to hire a lawyer okay this lawyer is gonna advise me just make up your mind that this is an opportunity for your testimony and whatever else happens christ will be preached that's enough it's not a failure even if you die This is not a hair of your head will perish. If Christ is preached, we can rejoice. And we should just do that. We should do it in every sermon, in every Bible class, every group discussion. We put now things on cable access. The gospel's on there. So people hear it. So Jesus predicted that these things would happen. In Acts 5, they actually happened. So what Jesus said created narrative tension that's picked up in Acts 5. 
That's how narrative works. Here is on the scene of history exactly what Jesus predicted. The Jewish leadership opposes the apostles and the gospel they are preaching, and they wish to shame them publicly. And yes, my brothers and sisters, when you stand for the gospel, you will be shamed publicly. People will mock you, and they'll say, oh, you're just the one. More of these stupid religious fundamentalists clinging to their Bible because they don't have enough courage to deal with life. Have you heard that? Yeah, you're weak-minded and you have a crutch. No, I believe the truth that Jesus was raised from the dead. 19 and 20. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. And taking them out, he said, go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Literally, the word all is there. All of the word of this life, it says in Greek. Now, again, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is a brilliant writer. Now, think in your mind. Luke Acts, two-volume work, right? How did Luke begin? Angels. An angel comes, speaks to Zacharias, speaks to Mary, and announces what is going to happen regarding messianic salvation. Remember, Mary said, may it be done to me according to your word. So the angels are coming as messengers to announce the coming of the gospel through the virgin birth and the person of Christ in Luke 1. Keep reading. It's two volumes. You get to Acts. Here's angel again. This ties it together in our mind. Oh, the apostles are important people that speak for God, like Zacharias and Mary and Elizabeth and Simeon and the people in Acts or Luke 1. This is important. God's plan of salvation has come into human history. This is a crucial moment. These are the messengers sent by Jesus Christ. Angelic visitations set the stage for the gospel. Turn with me to Hebrews 1, 13 and 14, if you have your Bible open. I think this will help. Let me also correct a false teaching that's running around in TV church about angels. When I was a young man in Bible college, I was listening to some Kenneth Hagin teaching. And he was claiming that it's our job to go tell the angels to get what we want. So if you lack money, you say, angels of God, I command you to go get me money. Well, they're supposed to do service, right? What greater service than there would for me to get money? Wouldn't that be great? Well, let me read the passage, Hebrews 1. 13 and 14. 
But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Implied answer, none of them. This is only spoken to the Son. Psalm 110.1. Verse 14. Are they, that is the angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Now, let me tell you what I thought about when I read this. Acts 5, 19 and 20 show us what it looks like for the angels to render service. What did they do? They facilitated the preaching of the gospel. The angel says, go and speak to the people. Remember, they were commanded by the Sanhedrin not to speak in the name of Jesus. The angel says, go do it. Peter says, we'll rather obey God than man, knowing that God had sent the angel. Just like in the book of Daniel, angels were sent at key times, just like in Exodus. Angels aren't waiting for us to tell them to go get us money. They're doing service that we might, unseen service from our perspective, that we might be gospel preachers, that we might fulfill our role as the priesthood of every believer. The apostles are commissioned by God's angel to preach the gospel. So therefore, don't listen to the false teachers. We'll start here. We're on slide four. In three weeks, we'll start here on slide four. Put a mark there. Keep your PowerPoint printout, and you can be the one to tell me where to start. Because in the meantime, I mean, Colossians. Mike, could you bring the, the mic back to Tom? Say, Bob, I thought it was uh, interesting when you were talking about the Catholic Church. I uh, went 10 grades to Catholic schools. And I never opened a Bible. And uh, so I think, and even in the early church, the early church uh, did not want people to read any of, the, any of it because of the fact that then the control of the Catholic Church, they could, and, and I know even myself, uh, the control of the Catholic Church was very evident because then whoever is doing the teaching is what I'm going to learn. And if it's something that I don't want to learn, I don't want to think for myself. I just want them to, yeah. you know, basically, um, you know, come in there and tell me what they want me to think. Exactly. And so that's, that's really, you know. That's what, what Luther rebuked. That's exactly right. And that's so, not the Holy Spirit. Now, you're absolutely right. So, therefore, the reason we teach verse by verse by verse in here is that teachers are given for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And what God said in the scripture will become part of your mind and your heart. It will become exciting. It will be the words of this life, the whole message of this life, so that as priests to God, everyone will come and be able to share the gospel. Because you'll get called before people to give a reason for the hope that's in you. 
And what are you going to say? Well, uh, you be- I better call the pastor. I don't know. But that's also why Wycliffe and Tyndale and those guys, you know, Wycliffe was burned at the stake uh, because they were having people read it themselves. Yeah. And uh, they didn't want them. The Catholic Church, they killed over 50 million people. They saw, so. they, they saw that the Bible was a threat to yeah, their way. authority. One last comment. My wife got something that was a little poster that says, if abortionists don't believe that we're human, then why are they selling body parts? And I thought, wow, that was impactful to me yeah. because they human body parts, but they don't think you're human yet. Yeah. Well, just learn how to think critically. You know, thinking critically in the world we live in is enhanced by understanding Scripture. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the apostles who... You sent to speak the whole message of this life so that we can read these things in the scripture and be trained and equipped in our role as the priesthood of every believer. May we not listen to what's false, but affirm with our own lips what's true and right. Thank you for helping us in this regard. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. We'll see you in the big auditorium. Well, thank you.